Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touch-tone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Ayala, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's uh, Cancer Care Connect Education Workshop, and today's program is on for coping with the stresses of caregiving when your loved one has triple negative breast cancer, and this is part two of a three-part series. Um, so some of you on the program yesterday, um, and now you're back again today, so we're happy to have you back. Now, today's program is done in collaboration with the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, with whom Cancer Care has had a long-term collaboration. And we also have other uh, cancer organizations and breast cancer organizations that have um, promoted the program as well. And so with all of that, um, uh, all of that um, promotion of the program, as well as all of your interest in this topic, um, we have over 503 participants on the call today and from all over the United States, from all different regions and parts of this country. And we also have international participants from Bangladesh, Canada, the Philippines, United Kingdom, and Venezuela. So it's a bit of an international call, a global call, and um, it's wonderful to have all of you on the program today. It's a real um, testament to your interest in, in being information seekers and getting as much information as possible. Today's program is supported by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. I cannot say enough about their support of this particular program and the entire series, as well as the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Helpline, and we'll say more about that as, you, as we go along, and also their uh, clinical trial matching service as well. So we'll hear more about that as the program progresses. Um, and we have wonderful speakers today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker, and our first speaker is Dr. Chiara O'Sullivan. Dr. O'Sullivan is Assistant Professor of Oncology, Mayo Clinic. And Dr. O'Sullivan will be addressing caring for your loved one with triple negative breast cancer, the role of the caregiver within the healthcare team, the tips on working with the healthcare team, and your role on, with adherence on weekends, holidays, and vacations. It's really my pleasure now really to turn this program over to Dr. O'Sullivan and welcome her on the call today. Dr. O'Sullivan? Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Messner, for having me. Um, yeah, my name is Dr. Kira Sullivan. I'm an uh, assistant professor, as you said, at Mayo Clinic Medical Center um, here at Rochester, Minnesota. Um, so the first topic I'm going to talk about really is, um, as you mentioned, caring for your loved one with uh, triple negative breast cancer. So I think for caregivers, um, one of the primary things to realize is that your relative will not get all the support um, that she or he needs from a doctor's office and that the role of the multidisciplinary team is really so important, um, therefore enlisting the help of counselors, uh, support groups, patient advocates, and loved ones is key. I think it's always helpful to encourage um, patients to talk about their fears or concerns as they um, embark on their treatment journey, and that could be to a trusted friend, um, another breast cancer survivor, to a therapist, or even through journaling. Um, everyone has their own ways of expressing their, their unique um, concerns um, when they have a, experienced a breast cancer diagnosis. Um, I think as well, practical things, encouraging um, your loved one to get enough rest, to eat well, um, and to take gentle exercise as tolerated, um, and also to continue to socialize with, with friends and, and family. 
often when patients are unwell, there is a temptation to, I guess, isolate yourself to a degree, but I think continued um, interaction and um, trying to normalize life as much as possible is important wherever possible. Um, as well, I think it's important for um, patients and their families to accept all offers of practical assistance from others, whether it's help with the carpool, cooking, chores, pet care, um, and so on. Don't be shy to accept um, offers of practical assistance. I think as well, planning things to look forward to, be they small or large throughout the um, duration of treatment, which is often lengthy, can really help patients and their families um, stay on track. I think um, whenever possible to encourage um, your loved one to continue um, hobbies and the things that um, he or she enjoys. Um, trying to adopt, a, I guess, a positive stance as regards the diagnosis in terms of even taking up a new hobby, such as something like yoga, if, if not um, practiced before, or engaging in techniques such as mindfulness um, meditation. Everyone is different and everyone has different beliefs, but it's applicable to find solace in religion, um, spirituality, or nature. In terms of um, updates as regards your loved one's medical care, um, this can often be a source of stress for um, patients and their families, and often it can be it can be it can be um, it can be an idea to consider sharing news updates to trusted um, family and friends in a group text message or an email, as it can be time-consuming and um, stressful, and very tiring um, for the patient and the family to provide updates to many um, concerned people. On that note, I think it's also important to manage expectations in terms of, um, you know, the timeline for responses. Um, understandably, um, your loved one is not going to be able to respond to um, all text messages, um, cards, um, uh, queries as regards to how he or she is doing um, in a timely fashion if she's resting or feeling unwell. And I think what's very important as well is that all of these apply to the caregiver. Um, you need to look after yourself too. This is often an equally stressful and um, life-altering um, event for the, for the caregivers. So in terms of the role of the caregiver within the um, healthcare team, um, I think you can feel very much empowered in that you can act as your um, relative's advocate um, in that you can sit down with him or her to prepare questions um, before um, doctor's appointments and in those appointments to take notes and um, answer questions um, that your partner um, may not be able to um, answer. Um, I think, like everything, um, these appointments can be daunting and often people can feel nervous going into them, but we would encourage that um, you can help your partner to feel more comfortable and to express um, his or hers hopes or fears um, and also to support the idea of a second opinion if desired. Um, I think um, nowadays many medical oncologists are very supportive of the idea that um, patients may seek um, an extra opinion elsewhere or just reassurance that um, the recommendation is um, the right one for them. And I think no oncologist ever takes a, or rarely takes offense at, at somebody seeking a second or a third opinion because ultimately what matters is that patients and their family feel comfortable and secure with the opinions that have been given. As well, I think um, clinical trial participation is um, often a very positive option, and it's worth asking your care team about suitable clinical trials, um, which aren't always therapeutic. There can be supportive care um, clinical trials for which your relative may be a candidate. Um, and then you clearly will have a pivotal role in helping your relative to consider the pros and cons of participating in one. And often what that can boil down to is practical concerns in terms of how often you would need to be at a clinical trial institution, um, you know, whether that would work with your schedule, um, and weighing up the pros and cons of spending more time away from home um, and uh, your family. 
I think as well it's also important to remind us um, to provide you with all of the available resources that will help you um, derive practical, um, emotional, spiritual, and emotional support as um, required throughout this journey for both you, um, your relative, and your family. Um, for example, there are many examples which include the Family Caregiver Alliance, um, the Mayo Clinic Clinical Trials Network um, here at Mayo and indeed at other centers throughout the country. Um, there are um, a number of complementary and integrative medicine programs which offer a more holistic approach um, um, combined with uh, standard medical care to patients and also other organizations such as the Cancer Hope Network, breastcancer.org, and My Onco Fertility for our younger patients whose concerns as regards their, their future um, childbearing capacity. In terms of tips, in uh, general tips of working with the healthcare team, I think it is really important to remember that your healthcare team works for you, and it is their responsibility to ensure that you feel comfortable and cared for at all times. In terms of basic tips, I would advise collecting business cards and contact details, um, including out-of-hours numbers, for each, for each healthcare representative you meet with and store them in a folder that's easy for you to um, refer to um, at any point. Um, also, it can be useful to identify a point person from each team. So you might meet with a surgeon, a radiation oncologist, um, a medical oncologist, um, and it could be that there's one person um, from each of these um, disciplines that you might wish to interact with um, with any uh, questions. And again, that's you know on the subject of questions, please um, feel don't feel afraid or intimidated about asking questions if something is not clear, and please raise con any concerns you and your relatives may have about any aspect of your of your care. Um, often it can be convenient to keep a folder or a binder with copies of um, pertinent medical records, scan results, including images on a disc, um, and bring these to you with your appointments, um, especially if you are going to a um, another center whereby you have not received care, as um, you know, that way you have all of the information to hand if there has been any, I guess, delay in um, uh, the uh, providers receiving your information. Um, asking for recommendations as regards useful reading material, patient blogs, web links, and support groups um, is something that we, I, we encourage our patients to do. And again, communication is key. Um, so everyone has different, you know, I guess, preferences in terms of how they wish to be communicated with. Some people prefer to use an online messaging system if they're working during the day, whereas other patients may prefer to be called personally or emailed with relevant information. So it's important to let your care team know your preference and who we are allowed to share your medical information with. Also, if you're considering starting any alternative treatments or diets, um, you know many medical many medical oncologists are actually very supportive of other alternative approaches to cancer care um, in conjunction with um, conventional medicine. But it is always important to discuss any um, possibilities with your provider, as sometimes there may be potentially harmful interactions between some of these um, medications or herbal remedies and um, the conventional medications that you would be prescribed for breast cancer. It's also very important, I think, to follow up with your primary care provider, um, especially if you have a good relationship with him or her. Um, he or her, um, him or her can provide, um, he or she um, can provide invaluable, practical, medical, um, and emotional support at this time. Um, that also applies if you are participating in a clinical trial or planning clinical trial participation, or even undergoing oncology care at a location far from home. Um, I would encourage you to establish or even continue in conjunction your care with a local oncologist also, as this can be very important, especially if you become unwell out of hours or there are questions, um, you know, having being linked in with an oncology office closer to you um, can be very useful. 
terms of um, treatment adherence and the, um, I guess, the challenges that can come up um, in, in terms of weekends, holidays, and vacations, obviously holiday times, although they're meant to be relaxing, they can come with um, additional pressure. Um, therefore, trying to stay in schedule, yes, it's important, and the setting iPhone reminders or um, making notes of when to take tablets can be helpful in trying to keep people on schedule. But I think it's important to encourage your relative as well to rest uh, when needed and not to overdo things. I think it's also important that um, patients and their families don't feel under pressure to feel happy if they are struggling, because clearly this is a challenging time. And again, to reach out um, for emotional and practical support as needed. During holidays, um, often children, if, you, if that's relevant, have um, additional activities they need to participate in, and it can be um, helpful to enlist trusted friends and family members to assist with this. Um, often, your caregivers will be very supportive of you having a vacation or going away for a vacation, and often can work around holiday schedules as needed, so long as we have advance notice and um, you know, we can reschedule treatments and um, you know, hopefully um, minimize any interruption to your um, treatment plan. If you are traveling, I would ensure as well or um, recommend that you have clear instructions as regards any medications you need to take, any letters you may need for the airport, um, important phone numbers, um, a copy of your most recent doctor's clinic note, and an updated medication list, which is um, always very helpful in the case you need to see seek um, medical advice. So um, I would like to wrap up um, at this point, and um, later in the call I would be um, happy to take any questions um, you may have. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Dr. O'Sullivan. That was really outstanding and just a wonderful overview of just how important caregivers are um, in, the, um, in, in helping um, with loved uh, ones with uh, triple negative breast cancer. So thank you very much. And our next speaker is Dr. Aaron Kent, and Dr. Kent is Scientific Advisor for Outcomes Research Branch, Healthcare Delivery Research Program, Division of Cancer Control and Population Sciences, National Cancer Institute. And Dr. Kent will be um, addressing deciding to become a caregiver, stresses of caregiving, what research tells us about caregivers, managing family, friends, and traditions, and the importance of taking care of yourself, promoting caregiver resilience. So it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Dr. Kent. Thank you, Dr. Mesner. I am honored to be invited to the, by Cancer Care to be speaking to you all today on this important topic of coping with the stresses of caregiving for a loved one with triple negative breast cancer. I first wanted to um, just reiterate or point out that I am a researcher, um, not a clinician. Um, much of my work at NCI, however, has focused on cancer patient outcomes, including quality of life, the impact that cancer has on families, and cancer caregiving. My role today is to tell you about what research tells us about being an informal or family caregiver for someone with cancer. A recent patient survey led by researchers at Cancer Care found that the impact of cancer on family was the number one concern of most cancer patients, indicating how critically important it is that we pay attention to cancer patients' families in addition to, in addition to patients themselves. So caregivers are people who help individuals with cancer meet their day-to-day -day needs, what we might call activities of daily living, things like prepping food, washing and bathing, getting dressed, and also doing things like going grocery shopping and paying bills. They may be spouses, partners, children, relatives, friends, or neighbors. The tasks that they can help with are many and varied, and they can also include what we would call medical or nursing tasks, like administering medication, changing bandages, helping with things like keeping infusion ports and catheters clean. 
Caregivers can also help uh, accompany their loved ones to medical appointments, communicating, coordinating with healthcare providers, and sometimes advocating for services, just as you heard Dr. O'Sullivan um, speak about. It's difficult to estimate how many people exactly are serving in the role um, as a caregiver at a given time in the U.S., um, and especially for patients with triple negative breast cancer specifically. The National Alliance for Caregiving conducts a survey of caregivers nationwide once about every five years, and their most recent estimate is that approximately 43.5 million adults are serving for a a as a caregiver for a loved one with a serious medical condition. Now, of those, about 2.8 million served as a caregiver for someone with cancer. It's safe to say that there are thousands of people right now who fit that role and thousands more to come. Rosalind Carter, former First Lady and Caregiving Champion, has been quoted as saying, there are only four kinds of people in the world, those who have been caregivers, those who currently are caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need a caregiver. Deciding to become a caregiver can be a challenging decision. In fact, some caregivers don't feel like it's a choice at all. Um, rather, it might feel like an obligation at times. But that said, um, there are many uh, benefits um, or positive aspects of being a caregiver. And, of course, on the flip side, there can be many challenging aspects of being a caregiver, particularly for those who are um, caregiving for um, a large number of hours, say 20 hours a week or more. Um, study led by the National Alliance for Caregiving, the National Cancer Institute, and the Cancer Support Community found that cancer caregivers on average spend over 32 hours per week providing care, which is more than those whose care recipients had other health conditions. Cancer caregiving tends to be more episodic and intense than caregiving for those with other health conditions. Cancer caregivers more often help with um, activities of daily living, things like, again, prepping food, bathing, dressing, um, than other kinds of caregivers. And despite this involvement, many caregivers um, have not had those important conversations with doctors, nurses, and other care providers about their needs. Just over half had discussed um, a loved one's care needs with the provider, while less than a third discussed their own self-care needs. Um, in addition, several, um, about 40%, reported report performing complex medical or nursing tasks without the proper prior training or preparation. And in the same study, about half of caregivers reported feeling high levels of emotional stress and um, about a quarter of reporting financial strains. Other studies have shown that can cancer caregivers can face sleep disturbances, poor psychological outcomes like depression and anxiety. Caregivers often neglect self-care needs in service of caring for their loved ones, and they may not be asked enough about their own health needs, and this is a critical area for both further research development and a need for cultural change in clinical practice. In addition, when many patients end or have a break in their cancer treatment and have to adjust to a new normal, they often report high anxiety related to their cancer coming back, which we would call fear of recurrence. But it isn't just survivors who experience that fear. We know that their family members often do too. So know that it is normal for a caregiver to have, have that kind of fear as well. And although these findings that I just mentioned seem negative, I'm providing these findings to you to help normalize any feelings that, as caregivers, you might have about the stress of caregiving. It is normal to feel like it is hard, and it is important to reach out for help. Social support is critical. And support should be thought about in a multidimensional way, along the lines of both what we would call instrumental support. So that's things like having people help you with preparing meals, providing transportations to appointments, help with childcare, and emotional support. So providing a listening ear, companionship, and affection. 
Both kinds of social support are important and can benefit both patients and caregivers. In fact, in situations where there is a network of carers with the patient at the center can be the most advantageous. Respite care programs, which allow caregivers a break by providing paid caregiving services, either during certain hours of the day or for days at a time, can also offer caregivers some relief, although these services are often underused. It is not uncommon for caregivers to try to take on the role of moving through and doing what needs to be done, and these approaches have been looked at, in particular among male caregivers of women with breast cancer. Guilt is also an emotion that some caregivers face. The problem is, however, that a lack of engagement and appraisal of one's feelings can lead to many caregivers experiencing lower quality of life or even what is sometimes termed suffering in silence. For some, spirituality, faith, and religious practice can help patients and caregivers cope with cancer. For many, fostering feelings of hope and managing feelings of guilt can be helpful. For others, prioritizing sleep, exercise, and healthy eating can be critically important to coping with the stresses of caregiving. A few other important tips to consider for caregivers specifically. If you wish to speak to your loved one's healthcare team directly, you will often need to get written permission from um, her given the, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, or HIPAA, which governs how patients control and release their health information. In addition, important to know that the Family Medical Leave Act, or FMLA, requires that most employers, generally companies with 50 or more employees, grant their employees up to 12 weeks of unpaid job-protected leave per year for family members to take needed time to care for a spouse, parent, or child. It's important to speak with your employer to learn about um, potential possibilities for unpaid time off. I want to say a little bit about milestones like holidays, uh, birthdays, and special occasions, and managing families, friends, family members, friends, partners, and, and, and these traditions, especially as we head into the winter holidays. Holidays can be such a special time for many people. They can often include family gatherings. This can bring up, as we talked about, both the positive and negative experiences for people, not or, but both or and. Um, one important global su suggestion is to manage expectations, especially um, your own. Caregivers are often people who take on many tasks, but it's important to preserve energy. This is a critical time for asking for help and being honest and open about the need for help with things like hosting, meal preparation, and other time-intensive duties. You may also need to pick and choose which events and gatherings both you and your loved one can attend, the simplest, least exhausting, and most enjoyable for you both. There's an opportunity for communication with family and friends during holidays about a loved one's health. Sharing truth can often, feel, can often lead to reduced feelings of isolation and appreciation. Putting in a note describing a loved one's condition in a holiday greeting card is one way. Another way is to share a wish list, directly asking family and friends for help with things like respite, home repairs, and self-care. For example, like getting a, um, a massage or a manicure or taking a hike. Another idea is to consider recording time with your loved one or other family members and friends um, on video or even in audio form. There's a number of ways to do this, including a quote-unquote old-fashioned recorder, but there are also several um, smartphone applications that can assist with recording and archiving talks with your loved one and other family members. Programs such as StoryCorps, S-T-O-R-Y-C-O-R-P-S, uh, is a program designed to preserve and share audio recorded stories between people around the world to help build connections and teach people the value of listening. Finally, and especially since last week we had Thanksgiving, um, having an active gratitude practice can really help maximize finding those positives when life as a caregiver can get hard. This can be writing in a daily private journal, um, or it can be on social media, or if, if 
if you want to uh, share publicly. And it can be anything, the sound of rain on a roof, a kind gesture that someone did. Writing it down can help internalize that feeling of gratitude for the good, and making it a regular, either a daily or a weekly practice, can help cement that meaning um, even more. And in closing, I just want to stress that there is help out there for caregivers from many sources. Um, there is support um, for caregivers and information for caregivers um, on our website, the National Cancer Institute. We have a, a web page called Family Caregivers and Cancer. And we also now have a special caregiver module dedicated to caregivers on the Springboard Beyond Cancer site. Other organizations, including Cancer Care, of course, um, the Triple Negative um, Breast Cancer Foundation, the American Cancer Society, Cancer Support Community, Family Caregiving Alliance, um, and others have resources for caregivers. And I also wanted to point out that the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation has a website with lots of useful information, including lists of questions to take to your doctor appointments and a guide oriented towards caregivers specifically. So with that, I'll um, thank everyone for listening, um, and I'm happy to provide further resources uh, later if needed. With that, I'll hand it back over to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Kent. That was really outstanding and just a wonderful presentation. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. And our next speaker is Ms. Carly O'Brien. And Ms. O'Brien is an oncology social worker, and she is a Cancer Care's Caregiver Program Coordinator. And Ms. O'Brien is going to be addressing coping each day on special occasions, anniversaries, birthdays, and holidays. And for the caregivers on the call, you know how complex that can be for you. Long-distance caregiving self-care and stress management tips, and Cancer Kids Free Psychosocial Programs and Services. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Ms. O'Brien. Thank you so much, Dr. Messner. I'm very happy to be part of this call today. And my colleagues on the call have really made some important points, so I'm going to emphasize and reiterate a lot of what they said and, and hopefully elaborate a little bit on some of the concepts that we think are most important and hopefully will help to make your role as a caregiver a little bit easier or more manageable or feel a little bit more rewarding. We know that managing the stress of everyday life these days can be challenging enough for anyone, but when you add the impact of a loved one's cancer, that can be really taxing both for the person with cancer and their caregiver. Paying attention to your loved one's physical and emotional needs, as well as your own, are really important elements that can help you just to make the most of every day, as well as any other special occasions that come up. We know that staying organized and having good communication skills really lay the foundation for a positive patient-caregiver relationship. For caregivers, we'd encourage you to check in with yourself about what your priorities are each day and be sure to be intentional with the things that are most important to you, the things that make you feel like you. To help you cope each day, enlist the support of friends, family, or even professional support to really help you make sense of what your needs are and to strategize about how you can work to get them met. A sense of normalcy and independence and having a life of your own outside of your caregiver role are really important and make you feel, again, a little bit more like you. Being flexible and patient with yourself can really help you make the most of your caregiver experience. And as Dr. Kent mentioned, we do talk a lot about the challenges of caregiving, but it's really important to also acknowledge that there are some opportunities that come along with this role. That might be a clearer understanding of your loved one's needs or your own, a stronger connection or bond with your loved one, 
improved communication, the ability to appreciate the simple moments that you have together, or the appreciation for a bit of normalcy. Those are just a few of those potential opportunities. Reflecting on those often and every day instead of just focusing on the challenges can really offer you a sense of hope and comfort that can be really empowering. Special occasions like holidays, birthdays, and anniversaries really for us in general represent times of celebration and connecting with loved ones. But it can be a source of stress for people with cancer and caregivers. During, uh, during these special days, coping with cancer can feel a little bit more difficult. Many caregivers feel like there are so many expectations placed upon them for how they should approach these kind of events. This can feel really overwhelming. So I'd encourage any caregivers out there to really consider what makes the most sense for you and your loved one and be mindful of not giving in to those shoulds. There are a lot of things that caregivers can do to help themselves and their loved ones maximize these events and special occasions. One thing that I often suggest is to start by considering what each specific event, milestone, holiday, birthday, or anniversary means to you. What are the most important elements of the celebration? Is it the people? Is it celebrating at a certain place? Is it the food? Is there a specific tradition that you do every year? Is it someone that you honor? Is it the words that are being said? Taking some time to be a little bit more mindful of the significance of the event can be a helpful starting place in thinking about how cancer can fit into the picture instead of the other way around. Planning ahead and being organized can be helpful. Try and anticipate these occasions before they happen. Although every year I know I'm one of those people that says, wow, the holidays really snuck right up on us, didn't they? And I think that's true this year. I can't believe we're already past Thanksgiving. But consider what you and your loved one can tolerate this year. Take it occasion to occasion and give yourself the flexibility to create a new tradition. Managing your expectations is a really important part of coping with a loved one's cancer diagnosis. So consider what traditions you might need to take a pass on or change this year and give yourself permission to do that. It doesn't have to be so all or nothing. Establishing new holiday or birthday traditions with close family and friends might allow both the person with cancer and the caregiver to feel more satisfied, fuller, and more supported during these celebrations. And for caregivers, remember to give yourself a break. The holidays especially are hectic as it is, and so many caregivers put pressure on themselves to do it all. Be sure to recognize your efforts and know that you're doing the best that you can do. That's all any of us can do. And don't hesitate to reach out for support of your own by asking for help when you need it. Caregivers need support too. You can enlist the support of friends or family. Talk with your loved one's medical team. They can also be really great resources um, and give additional suggestions, tips, or support that can help you and your loved one through these kind of events or even just day-to-day -day issues that come up. When we're talking about one's role as a caregiver, we know that there's no one definition of what it means to be a caregiver. And a lot of people now are identifying themselves as long-distance caregivers. Those are people who might live far away from the person with cancer. Long-distance caregiving is kind of a term that can be unfamiliar and confusing, and the experience can be that way too. So for anyone who's fulfilling the role of a long-distance caregiver, 
just keep in mind that you can really be a meaningful part of your loved one's cancer experience even from far away. Those caregivers who aren't local to their loved ones can provide a lot of emotional support, a listening ear. They can offer a sense of camaraderie and social support, whether it's over the phone or in person during visits, text, email, Skype. We know technology can be a real advantage and can really help you to feel connected and in the loop. Staying in touch and just being emotionally available to talk about difficult subjects often helps the patient to feel supported even when they don't choose to talk about those subjects. Just knowing that you're there can go a long way. It also might help you as a long-distance caregiver feel like you're contributing and being helpful even if there's not some big conversation happening. I think that layer of emotional support is often as helpful as providing physical care. So it's important to keep that in mind and, and don't sell yourself short. Caregivers can help with a lot of practical tasks on the medical side of their loved one's care too from far away. They can coordinate medical appointments and just keep records organized, get to know the medical team, advocate for their loved one's needs on the health front and otherwise, no matter where they are. This can really help you to be involved. Um, you might want to send a list of questions to see if it helps sort of spark any ideas for your loved one with cancer. It also reminds them that you're there for them. Long-distance caregivers can help with day-to-day -day things to get organized. They can manage household bills or finances, create calendars, organize legal paperwork, direct the patient to resources and information about things. And these are important things that can help to ensure that your loved one's being well, care, well cared for on all levels and across the continuum of care. Another important role of the long-distance caregiver can be to help your loved one enlist additional supports outside of you. You can help arrange for other friends or family to drop off meals or coordinate transportation. You can become knowledgeable about different support groups or workshops that they might be able to attend. And patients really do often rely on their caregivers to take on some of that legwork when they don't have the energy. And since these tasks usually just take an internet search or a couple phone calls, they're really well suited for caregivers who aren't nearby. What we know about long-distance caregivers is that they often struggle with feelings of guilt and that they wish they could do more for their loved ones. So I'd say remind yourself of all that you're doing instead of only focusing on what you can't do. Give yourself credit for the efforts you've made and check in with your loved ones. See if they have any suggestions about how you can continue to be helpful to them. And remember, take care of yourself. I know that's easier said than done. Long-distance caregivers need support too, so reach out to a support group or contact a social worker to help you make meaning out of your caregiver experience. I know I've said this, and, and my colleagues have already said this too, uh, that self-care is an integral part of the caregiver experience. We've mentioned this again and again for good reason. In order to be a good caregiver to somebody else, you really have to be taking care of yourself. It's like that message that they reiterate on the airplane. You've got to put on your oxygen mask first before helping others. Same goes for caregiving. When we talk about self-care, we mean both physical and emotional care. Focusing on both can help ensure that you're in a good place and that you're equipped to take on the responsibilities and the impact of caregiving. A couple of tips that I offer to caregivers when it comes to self-care, start with the basics. Are you eating three meals a day? Are you getting a decent amount of sleep? Are you doing some kind of physical activity at least once a day? Are you doing things that make you feel like you? 
one thing that caregivers often find helpful is to start your self-care regimen with the idea of maintaining what already works instead of just adding lots of extras because then it's easy to get overwhelmed. Take care of your physical health by scheduling regular physical exams with your doctors and staying on top of any other follow-up care that you need. Get organized and keep a calendar of your own appointments. That can also show the patient that you have to do the same thing to it. You can help get each other organized and motivated together. The benefits are really twofold because being physically healthy can really improve your mood and outlook. But there's this big misconception about self-care that it has to take a lot of time or money, but I think really all it takes is a little bit of creativity. We know that you might not have an opportunity for a spa day or a vacation, but can you go for a little walk on your lunch break, connect with nature, change scenery a little bit? Can you call a friend or journal, get some of those feelings off your chest? Can you schedule a monthly date night to look forward to? Can you eat ice cream every once in a while? Self-care can even mean something as simple as taking some slow, deep breaths when you feel overwhelmed, spending five extra minutes in a hot shower, or going to bed just 30 minutes earlier than you normally would. Again, being intentional with your self-care efforts can make them part of your daily routine, and it makes them more accessible. This helps you to better tolerate some of the challenges that come with caregiving and can ultimately help you manage stress. Keep in mind that when we talk about enlisting support and having people to, to feel connected with, cancer care can offer that support in a professional, free way. Um, we're a national nonprofit organization staffed by licensed master's level social workers who have experience in cancer and caregiving. We can really provide some of that support that can help you to manage stress and make sure that you're making your own care a priority. All of our services are completely free of charge and we're experienced again in cancer. We offer individual counseling and support groups, educational resources like the Connect Education Workshop you're listening to right now. We can also provide information about other resources, practical help, and some limited financial assistance to patients. So if you're interested in learning more about our services, have questions, or want to participate in a cancer care support group or counseling, please feel free to contact our toll-free Hopeline at 1-800-813-4673 to speak with a licensed oncology social worker or visit our website at www.cancercare.org. And lastly, I just want to commend you all on listening to this call today. It's one good step in taking good care of yourselves. Thank you so much for your time and attention today. And with that, I'll, I'll uh, pass things back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. O'Brien. That was wonderful. Just a wonderful presentation. Um, and uh, we definitely will look forward to questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you. And um, our next speaker is Ms. Haley Dinnerman. Ms. Dinnerman is a lawyer. She's co-founder and executive director of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, and she is responsible for actually supporting, and most generously, this three-part series and our cancer care, uh, the, uh, the I'm sorry, Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation helpline. And uh, Ms. Dinnerman is going to address the programs of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, and it's, I'd happily turn this program now over to Ms. Dinnerman. Thank you so much for that introduction, Dr. Messner. Um, I wanted to take a moment to thank our partners, of course, at Cancer Care and 
my fellow presenters for the absolutely excellent overview on caregiving for loved ones with triple negative breast cancer. Um, today's webinar and teleconference is one of many programs offered by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. All of our programming is specifically designed to address the needs of the TNBC community from patients and survivors to caregivers and loved ones. And to all the caregivers on this call, I want you to know that when I speak of our triple negative breast cancer community, I speak of you as well. I'd like to highlight a few of our programmatic offerings, and I truly hope that you'll take advantage of them and encourage those you are taking care of um, to do the same. So first, we offer numerous educational brochures and fact sheets that are available in print or also as free downloads from our website. Our popular fact sheets for caregivers are Understanding TNBC Brochure and our Treatment Guide for Patients and Their Families were all developed with input from members of our TNBC community as well as esteemed medical experts in the area of TNBC. So um, these brochures, as well as all of our other educational materials, have special sections addressing issues of particular interest to certain members of our TNBC community, including caregivers, um, African-American and Latina women, those with BRCA mutations, and those with early stage diagnosis, and of course, those with metastatic disease as well. We work really hard to make sure that every member of our TNBC community can find relevant information and practical guidance in these materials, so I hope that you'll use them to your benefit. Um, also, our website, tnbcfoundation.org, offers a TNBC-specific clinical trials matching service that is less daunting uh, than clinicaltrials.gov and something to uh, take a look at. Um, our website also offers a constantly updated TNBC news section, and uh, a favorite of our community is our online discussion forum. These forums allow you to easily connect with other caregivers and with women who are living with triple negative breast cancer at any time of the day or night, so they're extremely useful. Our community, um, which includes thousands of women from those who are newly diagnosed to many long-term survivors, use the forums to ask questions about treatment, about how to manage side effects, how to help loved ones battling this disease, and anything else related to TNBC. But most importantly, our discussion forums offer consistent support. So if you aren't currently registered for the forums, you should consider joining them. You can even join anonymously, and I honestly can't stress enough how helpful they've been to so many women and to their families and caregivers as well. So, of course, um, if, you'd feel, if you feel that you'd benefit more in-person meetings, uh, those are available as well. I hope you'll consider joining us for our next fall conference weekend. The TNBC Foundation partners with Living Beyond Breast Cancer every year to provide you with a specific triple negative program, which also includes programming for caregivers. Our next conference won't take place until the fall, um, but it's never too early to start planning. So if you're interested, please look out for information about the program. We even offer travel grants for caregivers to help defray the cost of attending. In the meantime, I hope you'll join us as we begin planning our programming for our national TNBC Day campaign. Beginning on March 3rd and lasting throughout the month of March, we will once again roll out this campaign to increase awareness of TNBC, to provide our community with opportunities for education and support, and to support fundraising efforts for TNBC research. 
so many of you on this call have been supporting this um, foundation-led effort for years, planning and executing incredible events and online campaigns every March. So I want to thank you so much for helping us spread the word. And just like in past years, I'm proud to say that 100% of the funds raised by members of our TNBC community for TNBC Day will go to support TNBC-specific research projects. And finally, it goes without saying that TNBC-specific medical research is extremely important to our foundation. We not only support um, cutting-edge re cutting research at leading medical institutions, uh, but we work hard to inform you about the new developments in this area. So we have expert scientific bloggers at all the major, major medical conferences, including at ASCO, at AACR, and SABCS, and they work to provide our community with up-to-the-minute updates on new and emerging research and treatment options also, so that um, if you're interested in receiving these types of updates, please follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're going to be blogging all next week from the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium, so be on the lookout for those updates. Uh, we hope we connect with you all soon, whether on social media, by phone, online at tnbcfoundation.org, or live at, many of, at one of the many TNBC Day events that will take place this March. So once again, thank you for joining us. And I'll now turn the program back to Dr. Messner. Well, thank you so much, Ms. Zimmerman, for your actually absolute passion and dedication um, to all programs for triple negative breast cancer patients and their families and loved ones and caregivers. And so um, I do want to just say a word about the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation helpline. I think as you listened to Dr. Kent's presentation, she identified that sometimes people need instrumental support, help with specific practical issues, and the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation helpline does offer a specific grant to help people with transportation, home care, and child care. And as many of you as caregivers, you often do need a break, you need help, and that might be a resource for many of you to consider um, taking advantage of. Um, and of course, you also will be in need of emotional support support as well, and we want you to know that you can access um, some of our um, triple negative online support groups, our caregiver support groups that we have, both telephone and online support groups. And um, in terms of contacting the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation Helpline, you can simply call 1-877-880-8622. And um, we, there also is a clinical um, trial matching service that they have, which could be very helpful, and lots of information on their website. And now we do have time for questions, and we're going to try and take as many of your questions as possible. And if we don't get your questions, I will give you uh, information at the very end as to how to get your questions answered. But let's, let's see how many of your questions we can take. So I'm going to ask um, um, Ayala if she would explain to how to queue up for questions and let the questions begin. Okay, um, Ayala. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then one on your touch-tone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to move yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Again, ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question, please press star, then one. So I'm um, actually, I do have a question that has come in from our online participants. Um, and um, this will be for Dr. Um, O'Sullivan. Um, I often accompany my mother to her treatments and doctor visits. What are some important notes I should be taking when I go with her? So, Dr. O'Sullivan, could you address this in a general way? Um, and um, I hope this will be helpful to our um, the person asking this question. 
Yeah, sure. So I think the kind of important notes would be, um, well, kind of plans in terms of the next steps for treatment, so kind of making uh, notes of um, when the next appointments should be. Um, I think as well if there's any uh, if it's a visit whereby your mother or your relative is being started on a new treatment, um, it's always a good um, you know thing to do. This actually saves you from having to write excessive notes is to ask um, the nurses or the doctors for an information leaflet about the um, treatment in question, which can provide you with um, information. I think I would say it's not so much the notes you take, but to make sure that you are feeling that when you leave the visit that your questions have been answered in an appropriate way. So usually it's how long am I going to be on this treatment, what do I do if I have a symptom or side effect that I'm not feeling comfortable with, or what are the plans in terms of my, my cancer management going forward. Um, and like anything, you know, I wouldn't feel under pressure that you have to, you know, ask all of your questions or, you know, take extensive notes at consultations because often what you can also um, do is ask your provider to take some notes for you. And sometimes I write down a kind of a brief summary of the important points of the consultation at the end of the meeting and give it to the patients and their families before they leave just in a short bullet point form. Well, that's a wonderful thing to mention. A lot of people aren't aware of that. Um, that's, thank you. That's excellent. Thank you. And we have a, a telephone question. Um, Ayala? Our first question is from Stephanie Kay. Your line is now open. Thank you so much, Caroline. Again, it's an excellent seminar. Uh, my question is, I want to know about the sister study. Since I had breast cancer 11 years ago, and I wanted to know more about how to get into that study to help my sister or other sisters. And also I heard about something called StoryCorps. I wasn't sure exactly what that was. If you could explain that, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. And I'm double-negative. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Um, uh, interesting questions. Um, anyone like to address those? Um, I'm familiar um, with these. Yes. Oh, sorry. Uh, this is Erin. Um, uh, Carolyn, were you going to say something about the sister study? Oh, no. Would you want to comment on oh, that? Or? Okay. Sure. Um, so I'm not that familiar with, so I appreciate the question. And um, I, I think you're referencing uh, the sister study, which um, has been funded out of, I think, both the National Cancer Institute and the National Institute for Environmental Health Sciences. Um, I, there is a website, so I would suggest um, trying to, and it's, it's just sisterstudy.org or .org, um, and there's, uh, I believe, um, contacts for the study um, on um, on that site. So you could, the best thing to do would actually be to contact the study staff there to find out more information about the staff, whether uh, about the study, whether or not there's um, a possibility for joining the study itself. So I would start there. Um, and then you also asked a question about um, StoryCorps. So StoryCorps um, is just a program that is run, um, it's actually a, a, an, it's a separate program from the National Archives, but um, what, what, what the StoryCorps mission is is to basically record um, people interviewing each other. So the format is, is they, they, they actually provide um, mobile booths um, around the country at various times. They also have a website um, at uh, S-T-O-R-Y-C-O-R-P-S. So um, that spelling of core um, dot org, um, and they they provide guides, interview guides. So if two people want to interview um, one another, oftentimes it's family members, sometimes it's um, 
intergenerational. So it might be a, a grandchild interviewing a grandmother, um, but sometimes not. It could be I've I've heard interviews um, that have been between, uh, say, a bus driver and a regular um, passenger. So it's it's just the idea of setting up a space um, for two people to interview one another. But in the context of a serious illness, it can be a really nice way to sort of take some time to really ask. Um, your loved one uh, questions questions that you they they might want you might want to ask them about their childhood you might want to ask them about their hopes their fears um, you know their their greatest successes in life whatever it might be that you might be curious about but it's a nice format for doing so and there's actually a, a an application or a smartphone app that they have now made available um, so you can actually record um, your interview with the person and it get, provides you some guidance. So it can be a nice way to to to, to do that. Excellent. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for addressing those questions. Thank you so much. Um, and we have um, another question from one of our online participants. Um, and um, I'm going to ask um, if um, if Carly could address this one. Um, Ms. O'Brien, um, are there any spousal-only support groups available to help spouses cope with the changes going on in their spouse and their relationship? Yes, so that's a really good question, and we know that caring for a partner or spouse comes with a different set of challenges than, say, uh, caring for a partner, uh, I'm sorry, caring for a, a parent or a child or a friend or some other relationship. Cancer Care does um, offer online support groups for caregivers who are partners or spouses, so we do um, designate support groups in that way. Um, and a lot of times the people who are uh, participating in just general caregiver support groups, there are usually a high volume of partners and spouses. Um, but we do have those specialized online support groups. You can visit our website at cancercare.org and follow the tabs for online support groups. That's a free professional online support group. It follows a message board format. It's a password-protected site that you can access 24 hours a day from your smartphone, from your computer, no matter where you are. And that's another way of getting connected with other spouses who can understand what it's like to really do that heavy lifting of caregiving day in and day out. Excellent. Thank you. And we have another telephone question. <clears throat> Our question comes from Elva A. Your line is now open. Yes, good afternoon. It's a pleasure listening to this program. I was trying to find out what's the best way to cope with side effects. I'm sorry, your question again? <clears throat> um, what's the best way to um, to cope with side effects from my chemo? Oh, excellent question. Um, Dr. Um, um, O'Sullivan, if you could address this in a general way, please. <clears throat> Yeah, I think it's um, a good a good thing to do is kind of make a, a note of the specific side effects that you're having um, because um, there's a lots of very useful information your care team can give you with regards to how to manage each individual um, symptom. So I think um, my my rec my advice would be not to be shy in contacting your care team if you experience a specific symptom and ask for further advice um, because you know there's just so many different symptoms or side effects you can experience in chemotherapy. So to work very closely with the healthcare team. Does anyone else want to add anything to that? <clears throat> okay. That is, I'm glad you asked the question. It's one that's really important. We actually have a number of programs on that topic alone. 
Um, and um, it will probably come up also in our part three of this program on December 20th on, on clinical trials. But it's very important to have your side effects managed and to not wait until the next appointment to get your side effects addressed, to actually call the office. Um, and do you want to say more about that, Dr. O'Sullivan, just in terms of just really working closely with the office so many yeah, side effects sure. can be managed? I, I, yeah, I mean, I think when you um, you meet with your providers at the first um, intake visit or even at every appointment, you know, you should have a, a contact person like a nurse or an office phone number that you can call. Never be afraid that you're bothering somebody. That's what our job is for. Um, you know, quality of life on chemotherapy is, you know, is very important, and the whole goal of it is that we try and get you through your treatment feeling as well as you possibly can. And often there's a lot of very helpful information which your nurse or uh, MD can give you which can help you manage the side effects in a timely fashion. So our hope is that you know you shouldn't really be experiencing debilitating side effects. Um, please reach out, and I'm sure your um, care team will, will give you appropriate advice at any time. Excellent. Well, this has been an outstanding call. I want to thank all of our speakers. You've been just amazing. Um, and I also want to thank all of our participants who've asked such great questions. And um, I also just want to say that um, all of you have been listening as well. Now, I did say if you have questions, how to get them answered at the very end. So um, there are a number of resources to get your questions answered. Um, and clearly, um, you can certainly contact the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. That's a wonderful resource. You also can contact Cancer Care, just as resources. And when you, um, after the program today, you'll get an evaluation form, and it will have all of the resources mentioned today. We have some new resources that were mentioned that you'll have um, access to. But definitely to contact both the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care, um, the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation Helpline, which has designated oncology social workers to address any of your questions or concerns. Um, and that number, um, again, for all of you to have is one eight seven seven eight eight zero eight six two two, and um, I most importantly don't want anyone to leave this call thinking that you are alone. You are now part of a, a lot of resources that you can access to get help with. And I also want to mention that we do have a part three of this program on December twentieth. It's an update on clinical trials in triple negative breast cancer. Very important program and a very important program that I know many of you are interested in. It's come up in some of our other other programs, part one and a bit of part two, but it's going to be totally focused on in part three, and it's an important area um, that um, may be of interest to all of you. Also, this is a time of year that is very hard for many people, but particularly very hard for caregivers of people living with triple negative breast cancer. And we hope you've had gotten some tips and, and resources today that can help you through this period. And we also hope that you'll take advantage of those tips and you'll also take advantage of the resources here um, at Cancer Care and Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation Helpline. Um, and we asked you to get an evaluation from us and to please complete the evaluation and tell us what helped you about the program, what was useful to you, what you'd like us to do, what other topics you'd like us to offer going forward in the future. So again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all, and, uh, and I'll take good care. And we'll talk to you all on December 20th. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.